You're about to listen to a lesson on Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman who released Jesus to be crucified. What do we know about Pilate? Not an awful lot. He was a Roman assigned to the distant province of Judea, or actually Syria, and he had some jurisdiction also in Judea. He was possibly Italian, but no one knows. We know the exact dates um, in which he ruled, though. 26 to 36 A.D. We're able to build a composite picture of Pilate from not only the New Testament, but also several sources outside the New Testament. I've included those in the written notes that go with this podcast. And also from archaeology. Because in 1961, workers discovered a stone from a building dedicated to Tiberius, the emperor. Well, the stone had been reused, as often happens. Later, it had been reused, and it, it turned up in, the, uh, in a, the steps of a theater, the Roman theater in Caesarea. Uh, when I say Caesarea, uh, this is not Caesarea Philippi, where uh, Peter makes the good confession, where you know, Jesus decides finally it's time to go to Jerusalem. This is the other Caesarea. Actually, there are many Caesareas, but this is the one on the Mediterranean, maritime Caesarea. So um, an Italian uh, ex, uh, excavation was underway. They find this stone. And what's amazing about it, and you can see it if you uh, go to the Israel Museum, or you can see a replica if you go to Caesarea. Uh, this stone mentions not only Tiberius, uh, it mentions Pontius Pilate's name. So this is the first hard evidence of Pilate. Of course, there was the written evidence, but the first evidence in stone. It even mentions his exact rank, which was prefect. The uh, Just a few years after Pilate stopped ruling, actually eight years later, the uh, area, the province of Judea, was ruled by um, a procurator. Well, we, w- we would normally say governor for both. But the technical word is prefect, and that's exactly uh, what we find in the scriptures, thus showing the, their accuracy. Anyway, that amazing find was found in 1961. Pilate is mentioned in... All four gospel writers, that is, Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke Acts, as well as a brief mentioned in, in 1 Timothy 6. Outside the Bible, he's mentioned in Philo, who was a Jewish writer and philosopher. Uh, he's mentioned especially in Josephus, who was a Jewish statesman. He was the governor of Galilee, in fact, who defected to the Romans in the war in the 60s and uh, prophesied that Vespasian would become emperor, the one who started the war, uh, who invaded after all the uprisings in 66 AD. Uh, and Josephus uh, actually was adopted by the Roman emperor later on. Uh, amazing. That, that's why we call him Josephus instead of Joseph, you know, or Yosef. So Josephus is a valuable source for understanding the history of the Jews, the Jewish war, customs, and so forth. So we have the two Jewish writers, Philo and Josephus, and we have Tacitus, the Roman, who uh, refers to uh, Christianity and to Pontius Pilate in his annals. And all these sources are, are from around the year 100 AD, thus very early, extremely valuable. Now, probably most of you listening to this are familiar with the gospel story, and you've heard about Pilate before. So I'm just going to read from two gospels, that is Matthew and John, and then we'll move on and look more at the character and the political life of this man, uh, and then draw some lessons for ourselves. So first I'll be reading in Matthew 27. Here we find Jesus standing before the governor, and the governor questions him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, Yes. He said, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, 
He did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Don't you hear how many things they testify against you? And I didn't answer him with regard to a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed because he knew that it was out of envy that they had handed him over. So here you go. You know, Pilate, I don't, I don't think he's particularly troubled that an innocent man has been arrested, even that an innocent man might die. Uh, what moves Pilate is that this guy won't save his skin. Perhaps as one who is used to doing what is expedient, one who is highly pragmatic, this uh, Roman uh, politician is amazed that Jesus doesn't stand up for his rights uh, to save his own skin, so to speak. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, that's where Pilate rendered his decisions, his wife, Claudia, who we'll uh, discuss in another podcast, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man because last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Well, you know the story. The Jews want Jesus crucified. There's the option of, re- of releasing someone else, which is Barabbas. Uh, the, the choice has been made by them. They intimate that, you know, uh, Pilate is no friend of Caesar, that he's, you know, there's something to write back to Rome about. He doesn't want that. Finally, he, he gives in to the desires of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And uh, he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. Remember, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd as though that actually cleansed him. It reminds me of one of the Proverbs. You know, you can, just because you, you wash and scrub doesn't mean that you're really clean. He insists he's clean. I'm innocent. And, you know, he says it's your responsibility. But we know what happened. Uh, he had Jesus uh, scourged, you know, severely whipped, handed him over to be crucified. And he was the one who made the final decision. Now, in John's Gospel, we read that Jesus was led from Caiaphas, that was the high priest, into the praetorium. That's where the the Roman guard were stationed. And it was early. So imagine this being around dawn. Now, the, the Jewish leaders didn't enter into this Roman area because they didn't want to become defiled because they wanted to eat the Passover. And, and you know, in the law, like Leviticus, if you become unclean, you become defiled, then you have to leave the camp and you have to be away from other people until evening. Well, they don't want that to happen. Uh, so Pilate has to come out to them. What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, well, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. you know, which is it's not really much of an answer. You know, what, what did he do? Well, obviously he did something or we wouldn't have delivered him. Uh, Pilate says, well, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Pilate really doesn't want to be involved with this. But they want the death sentence. So they say, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. And the Jews didn't have the right under Roman law to execute. When the Jews were their own state in the Old Testament times and, and later, that they could do that. But here, Rome are the police force. So uh, they could no more do that than you know, a, a group of uh, citizens in um, a neighborhood in uh, Nebraska or France or Germany could say, you know, we don't like this fellow. We're going to execute him. I mean, you can't take the law into your own hands. And the Jews couldn't do that. Um, they, they weren't, uh, in this case, going to form a mob. So what happens is Pilate enters into the praetorium and he calls Jesus and they have an interview. Imagine having an interview with Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered. Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Amazing. You know, the one who 
is uh, on trial, Jesus, is actually the one who's in control. And it's like Pilate's on trial. Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. And what have you done? Now, Jesus replies. He just doesn't answer that silly question. He answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. This is a podcast about Pilate. Of course, as a Christian, it's hard to resist. Um, and I want to say something about Jesus here. Jesus, unlike Pilate, didn't insist on his rights. Jesus did not die defending his rights or defending the rights of his followers. Fighting for your rights and standing up is a very, let's say, can I say American ideal? But it's really the opposite of what Jesus did. We have salvation because he refused to do that, to fight. And, and that's not to say we should all be wallflowers, uh, you know, we should be doormats or whatever you want to say. But I think we need to understand that there's a drastic difference between the attitude of the world and that of Christ. The spirit of the one who forfeited his rights, uh, as like in Philippians 2, and those who, like Pilate, uh, worship power or don't want to upset the apple cart. So what Pilate says to Jesus, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I've been born, and for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is, on the, who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Amazing question, and so revealing. And doesn't it have a modern ring to it? Well, when Pilate had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said, I find no guilt in him. And so, as we know, Barabbas is released. Then they crucify Jesus with two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. Now, this is in John 19. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I'm king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. <laughs> I don't know what kind of tone he had in that reply. Uh, it doesn't sound like the unchangeable laws of the Medes and the Persians. It sounds more like a man who can't be bothered or perhaps one who's decided uh, not to decide. <laughs> I mean, because of course, if he, if he was truly... Uh, who he said he was, Pilate wouldn't have crucified him. Yet he does. He's contradictory. So Pilate writes this inscription. And we only find this uh, s small detail in John. And it's written in three languages. Hebrew, which was the, the script and language that the Jews would be familiar with. And Greek, which was the international language, the language of the Mediterranean world, and, and the main language of the Roman Empire. And also Latin, which would have been... Pilate's native language would be the, the language he spoke at home, the language of imperial Rome. And they want him to change it, you know, to, you know, to put uh, the, in the word alleged or something like that. And Pilate says, no, you know, I've, what I've written, I've written. Okay, what an enigmatic character. What can we learn? Is there anything else we can learn about Pilate? Well, yes, there is. And for most of this, we go outside the Bible. 
So the Bible tells us what we need to know, but there's still lots of interesting things that we would like to know, and for that we rely upon secular history. And it's there that we learn that Pilate was a protege of the head of the Praetorian Guard. So he's a military man. He's a member of the equestrian class, like the knights. He has been tasked with keeping the peace sent to this faraway province to to govern, to collect taxes. And so he's in charge of uh, Syria, which uh, includes the area of Judea. And he is known throughout history as an insensitive man. Josephus, the Jewish historian, mentions several incidents. Pilate has his soldiers bringing in uh, shields with idolatrous images into Jerusalem. And, you know, the Jews were, because of the second uh, commandment and also just because of their history, they were, they were not very welcoming of idolatry. There are protests, public protests, and, uh, you know, Pilate has to deal with this. But he just didn't estimate well, he didn't calculate the effect of, of you know, it, it's one thing for the Roman occupying forces to be there. That's bad enough. But to bring the images of their religion uh, was a, a deep offense. Another time, he took money uh, to build an aqueduct. And you could say, well, bringing water into this area is an important thing. That's a good cause. But he took money from the temple treasury. This was supposed to be sacred money. And in the, the crowds who were demonstrating at this, uh, the soldiers turned on the Jews and killed many of them. I think Pilate had, had thought they would they would hurt them but not kill them. But it ended up that a lot of people were massacred. There was another incident when the Samaritans were going up to Mount Gerizim. You know, the Jews had Mount Zion uh, in Jerusalem. The, the, the uh, Samaritans worshipped Mount Gerizim. And, and one of their leaders or prophets was claiming that he found some um, some uh, items that you know went back to Moses himself. And so they're going to go on a mini pilgrimage up Mount Gerizim uh, but as they were all meeting and preparing to go up, Pilate had them massacred. Well, that was the last straw. He's called back to Rome. But by the time he gets there, uh, the emperor has died. The emperor Tiberius is dead. He dies in 37 AD. So Pilate leaves uh, Judea in 36. He gets back in 37. Uh, and that's really all we know. I mean, there's a later legend that the next emperor... Caligula ordered Pilate to commit suicide. But that, that story is, is very late, and I, I don't know that we, we can trust that. So when we read in Luke 13.1, remember what Jesus said about repentance. Uh, do we think that the Jews were somehow less righteous, those who were killed by the tower falling on them, or those who were murdered by Pilate? They were offering sacrifices, and Pilate mixed their blood with the sacrifice blood. That is, they were butchered you know, at the altar. That, that does uh, resonate with the uh, portrait we have of Pilate, particularly from Josephus um, and Philo. What about his character? Well, he is a politician, but let's not be anachronistic. We could be reading modern notions of politics into him. That wouldn't quite be right. I, I mean, he's, he's playing the system. I think the, the, the Romans, uh, the, there was a set course of advancement and probably to get to the next step, he had to take this post in uh, in Judea. But he wasn't one who was wooing voters. There's no democracy. The emperor is the one who could remove Pilate. You know, the Jews don't take a popular vote and say, boo, down with you, you're out. 
So politician, but not in the sense of uh, modern days. It's funny because I'm recording this lesson and it's just uh, two days before an American presidential election. It's so easy to, to read the ancient history and without being aware of our bias, we're, we're projecting or retrojecting modern ideas into uh, the, the text. And that's just wrong. Pilate was a Roman. Romans were known for being practical, for doing what was expedient. Uh, the problem is when you value that over humans or human life. Still, Pilate seems to have been in two minds about how to deal with Jesus. And so I would say a picture emerges of a man who's unsure how to conduct himself. You know, how far should I go? Uh, should I be overbearing or should I be detached? Should I leave it alone or should I wade in? Inconsistent. He's certainly insensitive to those among whom he lived those he was supposed to be governing over, as the examples uh, we just discussed uh, uh, illustrate. And eventually, as I said, he's called back to Rome. Uh, there are charges of uh, bribery and execution without trial, and he's in trouble. Uh, we, we don't know how it ended, but we know he's in trouble. He had multiple chances to respond in faith. This is the last section of this lesson before we jump to some lessons for us. Multiple chances. Okay, he is... Uh, in an interview with Jesus Christ, he asks some questions. Jesus answers well. In fact, in a way that really left Pilate without excuse. There's the dream of his wife, which we'll talk about in the Claudia podcast. Uh, that should have been a clear signal to Pilate that, uh-oh, um, this, is, this is not right. This is dangerous. I need to do something different. But he doesn't. The fact that the charges that the leadership of the um, you know, the official religious establishment made were baseless. Uh, should have worked on Pilate. I mean, when, when people make charges that are unfounded, then you don't just say, oh, well. You think, oh, okay, well, if they're wrong, then, then I should be listening to the guy they're accusing. I mean, there's a reason they're accusing him. He already knew it was envy, but he just he doesn't act consistently with what he should have known just by logic. And here's another one. Pilate... Uh, is recalled to Rome in 36 AD. Well, if the church began in 30 AD, Pilate had six years. Now, I, I don't know how many Christians he, he knew and interacted with, but I'm quite sure that he had some exposure. Uh, you know, he, he normally lived in Caesarea, uh, up in the Mediterranean, in the, um, let's say, the, the dangerous times, the high holiday times like Passover. Then he would come down to Jerusalem. And be and uh, he would reside there, but whether in Jerusalem or or up in the north, he would have had contact with the Christian story. And so here's a man who's met Jesus. Uh, God has tried to get his attention through a dream that his wife had, and he's had six years uh, around authentic Christianity, directly or indirectly, and he still doesn't respond. Now there is a late legend that Pilate became a Christian. It's very late. I think that's unlikely. I mean, some people think he was a saint. Very unlikely. It's unthinkable that the Gospels wouldn't have recorded such an extraordinary event. Don't you think so? But it's also implausible, given his vacillating and cruel character. Okay, lessons for us. One, we've got to take responsibility for our actions. You know, Pilate, he does, but he doesn't. He makes a decision by saying, I'm not making a decision. He says, I'm innocent, and he has the symbolic action of washing his hands, but he wasn't really innocent. He was in a position to 
to effect quite a different outcome. Not only must we take responsibility for our actions, uh, we must accept that some decisions are impossible to distance ourselves from. So character doesn't just mean, well, I don't, I'm not going to uh, you know, do directly evil things. If you just stand back or, or just let people have their way, then, then you're not using your influence to stop bad things from happening. This could be applicable at work. It could be in dynamics you see in well, almost anywhere, even in your own church. So we need to take responsibility. Politics, here's another lesson. Politics is messy and often requires moral compromises you know, for the, the so-called good of the state. And I think that's perhaps why the early Christians kept their distance. To make moral compromise, you could say, well, for the greater good, perhaps we have to do something that's, that's immoral. Uh, Jesus didn't authorize that. I, I think that if you're someone who's contemplating a life of politics, you better look good and hard at Pontius Pilate and also just look at what the two Testaments uh, teach us about power and the management of power, politics. Another lesson, extremely practical, don't ignore your wife's counsel. <laughs> don't, if your wife has some advice for you, you better listen. She is, she'll be your best advisor, you know, uh, 21 times out of 20. Your wife is the one. And last, don't jump to the conclusion that, that God hasn't been giving people chances to respond to the truth. You know, sometimes we think, oh, what about the poor people in such and such a place? They've never heard. And really what we're saying is God is unfair or almost as bad. You know, I don't know if God's fair or not. He may be unfair. We shouldn't jump to that conclusion. I mean, look at Pilate's life. And he was a pagan. You know, he was completely outside the people of God. He wasn't even Jewish. He has multiple chances. The Bible paints a picture of a God who's at work in every life. I think, uh, for example, in Acts 17, Paul assures them that God has been reaching out to us. He's been trying to get our attention. And he is close to us. We live and move and have our being in him. God hasn't forgotten anyone. Okay, so let me quickly review the lessons for us. We've got to take responsibilities for our actions. Don't distance ourselves from them. Uh, and politics uh, often requires moral compromise. Well, that means it's messy. It's, it's highly problematic for a Christian. Don't ignore your wife's advice. <laughs> and we should never jump to the conclusion that, that God is unfair, that he's not giving people a chance to respond to the truth. But what this means is that when we reach out to people, maybe complete strangers, we can expect that God's already been working in their lives. The question is to find out how to help them to identify the ways in which the Lord's been working and then to build on that as we present the gospel to them. These are the lessons I see that emerge from our study of Pontius Pilate. And now I would encourage you to listen to the next podcast on Claudia Procula, who was the wife of Pontius Pilate.